When I'm looking for inspiration, I often walk into a museum and go and see a collection or a display. These places of inspiration have dedicated teams looking after them and making decisions on what to show, preserve and display. A person involved with this rewarding practice on a daily basis is Sarah Rotwell, curator of modern and contemporary design at the National Museum Scotland. To talk about her career to date and what it is like to work as a curator for an important museum and their important collection, including jewellery, I have invited Sarah Rotwell. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for inviting me today. Sarah, to start, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, so as you mentioned, I'm a curator of modern and contemporary design at National Museums of Scotland. And there I look after the collections of British, European and other Western glass, ceramics, metalware, jewellery and industrial design that was created from 1945 to the present day. Um, so that's quite a broad remit if you think about it. Um, but I also have specific research interests which include Nordic and British modernist jewellery design, contemporary craft with a focus on ceramics, glass and jewellery, and also the integration and interpretation of historical collections by contemporary artists and makers. Wow, that sounds really interesting and actually quite broad, like you say. Um, <laughs> curating jewellery, if we're focusing on that area in specific, has been an interest of you, yet you've not been trained as a jeweller. What drew you to this topic in specific and what about curating? What made you decide to want to curate? Um, so actually, the majority of museum curators who um, specialise within jewellery history have either an art historical or an archaeological background. Um, myself, as kind of a design historian, I was drawn to jewellery because it's part of an area of contemporary design and craft that I'm just fascinated by. And as I, I work within such a wonderful collection at a National Museum's collection, I'm really lucky because I'm able to kind of invest my interest in, in all areas of contemporary craft and design through the collection. And jewellery is just you know, one aspect of that. But for myself, yeah, I'm really excited and interested in those contemporary makers who are kind of challenging the perception of jewellery. Um, beyond just a piece of kind of endowment or showing wealth and privilege, but actually making more kind of social or political kind of commentary with the jewels that they're creating. Do you have any pieces or artists that you've brought into the collection or displayed that have been really significant? Due to the current circumstances we're all living through, what I've been really grateful to have the opportunity to do is actually acquire specific jewels that have been created in response to this pandemic and I think one of the most moving pieces that I've acquired most recently was by the Korean American um, emerging jeweler Sarah Park Choi and it's a beaded breastplate uh, piece called Stay Home. And this was created by Sarah while she was basically in lockdown with her family on Rhode Island. And it was basically she was experiencing a huge wave of xenophobia and racism that was actually being directed specifically at Asian Americans because of the issues around the pandemic. And it was a horrible time for her as a student, as a as an artist and as an individual, this really powerful body of work um, as a kind of a beautiful protective mechanism 
in a way to try and deter some of that um, hatred being levied at her, but also a commentary basically on the how she felt she needed to protect herself from society and also all these kind of stay-at-home orders that were being kind of advocated by our political systems. So I was really excited when I saw that piece that was exhibited as part of Gallery Marze's graduate shows last year, and we were then able to acquire it for the collection. Um, so I'm very excited that we have that now. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to display it already and have there been any responses to it or is it for something to be seen up and coming show? It's an up and coming um, display potential. Um, so as, as um, maybe some of your um, listeners may not be aware, a museum is a very slow moving organism. <laughs> so um, our displays take years in development. So um, it's something I would hope to get out on display within the gallery making and creating, which looks at um, the studio craft movements and also what is happening um, co-currently. So yes, I'm hoping that. And then also um, some of those other pieces of Kobe collecting that I've been able to acquire on behalf of the nation will also go there at some point. You currently work as the curator, as we mentioned, of modern and contemporary design. Uh, what does the role involve? What does a day look like as a curator? Um, a curator's day is very varied. Um, it can involve, like any other job, administration, checking your emails, <laughs> seeing what the post has for you. But it also involves collections management. So part of my time is based at the National Museum's Collection Centre. Um, where we manage and care for our collections through um, ordering storage, um, making sure that basically pieces are available for photography um, and also kind of potential researchers in the future as well. And um, also my own research areas. So this can be, um, well, before the pandemic, this also involved more studio visits, meeting artists and makers, seeing their work at first hand. More of that has now become an online dialogue. So actually having a lot more Zoom meetings and discussions and people holding things up to camera for me so I can actually see things. Research as well involves library visits, getting really into kind of like journal publications, old magazines, especially when I'm researching um, sort of modernism and that period as well. So it's, it's very variable and also meetings as well with other um, colleagues and or during the kind of day-to-day um, -day running of a museum and organisation. What would you say are the main criteria behind your selection of any pieces that you decide to take into the collection of the museum and the various exhibitions it organises? What are you looking for in pieces? So um, a museum like my own will have a collection strategy in which has been created and evolved through strategic consultation with each interest groups. So for instance, our current um, collecting strategy is focused upon COVID collecting, those kind of political ramifications that have kind of transpired over the last 18 months, but also a focus on climate change and sustainability. So these may change and the parameters may change in the next few years, but that is our current objectives. And that is why we've had a focus on acquiring and collecting works within this area. Um, but that does not mean we also don't keep our eyes out and look at basically how the market is changing, those makers who are kind of coming onto the scene, what is happening and the development that is happening within the wider jewellery sector, for instance. Also, if there are 
if there's an opportunity to potentially acquire a unique work or a unique jewel that would fit strategically within the collection that would be of national significance for the National Museum Scotland and be something that we haven't got within that collection, we would also then look to hope to acquire a work like that. So for instance, in 2019, with the support of the Art Fund, we were able to acquire from Dorothy Hogg, um, her articulated necklace from 1969-1970, which she developed while she was at the Royal College of Art, which is a really important piece from her earth and is actually really fundamentally important because it shows the kind of tail end of what is classed as a modernistic approach in jewellery before that kind of real artistic jewellery and the kind of contemporary studio jewellery movement really took hold as well. In 2015, you were awarded a grant to create a collection of historical significant modernist jewellery that was designed and manufactured in Northern Europe between 1945 and 1978. Could you tell us a little bit more about that specific research and whatever you've sort of done since then in, in that theme, perhaps, and what you think is distinctive about this period that you singled it out? So this um, is an important area um, within museums collecting because it has been under-researched and under-collected here within the UK. Um, so it was an area that um, we identified um, not only within our own collections as having a gap, but also within the wider kind of UK collections, there was a gap within this collecting activity. Um, primarily, this is due to um, contemporary um, critics of the day believing that um, work that was being produced at that time was not of significant merit in which to acquire for a national collection. So you find that that pieces just basically weren't actually being acquired by museums. But then there's also the kind of new jewelry movement of the kind of late 60s and 70s that kind of eclipsed what was happening in the kind of post-war period, especially here in the UK. And really quite some of the critics of the day um, um, including Ralph Turner, the significant art uh, jewellery historian and curator and writer and jewellery advocate, was really saying this was the fundamentally the first significant um, post-war jewellery movement of the day. So, yeah, so that also maybe is why a lot of museums didn't acquire works within this area. Um, but also you have at this point... Um, the kind of increase and appreciation and development of the Scandinavian design movement, which took hold in all areas of craft and design and was an international influence, not just within Europe, but also in, within the United States as well. Um, so the impact and influence of Scandinavian design here in the UK is seen within glass, it's seen within ceramics and textiles, um, but it hasn't really been looked into in terms of jewellery. Um, so this was really, really interesting um, period and design movement that just hasn't really been considered. So it was, yeah, it was, we felt um, as an organisation that this was a really good opportunity to kind of, yeah, do a research project with the assistance of the Art Fund and, yeah, celebrate what was being produced within jewellery during this period. And so in a way, it was filling a gap and at the same time explaining or sort of drawing on the other collections within the museum. Yes, very much so. 
because there's been lots of research about Art Deco and arts and crafts. And then again, as I said, the new jewelry movement. And then, but you have this kind of gap of knowledge with what was happening in jewelry within within the 20th century. So it was really important for ourselves to kind of fill that gap and start talking about it, discussing it, and also celebrating some of those makers that maybe have been overlooked as well um, by institutions in the past and actually celebrate them and the unique works that they were creating. A significant development of that time and and sort of these jewelers was the use of different materials. Um, And there is a diverse range of materials used by artists you have selected and that you display in in the museum. What are your thoughts about the value of materials that are perhaps not traditionally considered precious? So it's interesting. So um, a lot of arts and crafts jewellers, for instance, had started to experiment with what we deem non-precious materials. And that went through into the Art Deco period. And you look at kind of some of those Bauhaus um, advocates um, when they were using steel tubing, chrome, they were really playing with materials and actually kind of usurping and upsetting those kind of precious um, hierarchies. So it has been going on for a number of years and it's really about how we see um, jewels as a, as a reflection of ourselves. There was always an assumption of basically the more precious they are reflected your wealth and your privilege within society. But as our social constructs have basically broken down somewhat and we're much more of a democratic society, I think it allows us to be much more expressive and we can show our personalities more without actually having to show these tokens of what were associated with privilege and wealth. I much prefer to actually see experimentation, an exciting narrative, um, and actually understand what the jeweler, the designer and the maker was actually feeling about and when they were creating that work rather than they were just putting together a lot of expensive stones in a rather weighty piece of metal for, for somebody of privilege to wear and show off that they had a lot of money. From a museum point of view, are there any challenges with preserving these kinds of pieces? Because sometimes the materials are we are used to seeing gold and silver maybe but you know these metals survive many decades but materials used nowadays can be I guess a bit more challenging is this something the museum is now dealing with and are there different strategies so conservation is part of any museum's working life and one of the biggest challenges that many museums are now experiencing is how is how we preserve and conserve plastics um, so some of the most experimental kind of jewels, for instance, in the 1920s and early 30s was using some of the earliest forms of plastics. And these were made from milk proteins, vegetable proteins as well. And they're kind of crystallizing and deteriorating. And it, yeah, they're breaking down quite a lot. Um, so, yes, um, there are always going to be challenges with preservation. Um, regardless if it's a synthetic material or even a natural material, because we obviously want to care for them and encapsulate them and allow them to be there for the next generation as well. Um, so it's it, it's fundamentally interesting to kind of consider these material explorations that are happening at the moment, for instance, within the new bio resins and plastics that are happening, uh, especially within the mushroom um, kind of 
um, plastics and how what the longevity may be on those as well. Um, and it's something that I'm yeah keeping an eye on and have an interest in. But yes, as we move to much more experimental material applications, it is something that as a museum we have to consider when we're looking to acquire a piece of work. What yeah, what care that piece of work may require and need in the future. Um, because it's sometimes it is an uncertain commodity. So we have plastics within the collection that are not jewels, um, but, were, but were made in, uh, made for other different products, which unfortunately we have to contain and um, box because they're off gassing, for instance, and then could have an effect upon other material within the collection. So um, there's always interesting things that come across, you come across in the museum world. Is photography playing a role within that idea of preserving, even if the material might decay, that you have good photographs? Is that part of the process? And, and with digital engagement increasing year on year, do you feel there is a continued place for the physical museum? And do you think its role might be changing in this more digital society? I think there's always a place for the physical and I think after a period of isolation and lockdowns this is what we're all craving we're all craving um going to museums and galleries and interacting and it was interesting I think is it I think it's somewhere in Europe um doctors are now prescribing visits to museums um for well-being purposes and it, it's it's important. Um, yes, the digital will always have a place within our society. And it allows us as a museum here in Scotland to reach so many more people across the globe and celebrate the amazing multi-dimensional and diversity of our collections. And um, because I work in an encyclopedic museum, um, they can engage with natural science, science and technology, Scottish history, art and design, and world cultures with a few clicks um so but I do think there always will be a place for the physical because that's we're human we need tangible interaction ta and tacit interaction so it's just yes there'll always be a place for um the physical exhibition as much as the digital as well but in regards to photography it's interesting what you said about preservation and actually photography is one element of that but it can preserve, it can allow us to know exactly how a piece may have looked in its original status, especially if like we're being donated something, for instance, by um, an owner, and it may have changed over it over the time and its use and has been adapted maybe by a different generation. So it allows us to be able to document and actually see how a work has changed over time. But photography is always very key and we do try and um, populate obviously our online collections portal with as many photographs as possible of, of our um, collections so people can also see if they're not able to come to Edinburgh and see what we have. Thinking about the museum and in particular um, jewellery, when, when you display work, it's probably not possible or most of the time isn't possible for people to try on the jewellery. Is this something you consider in your displaying methods or the, the materials that you produce alongside the piece on display? Or is this a challenge that you're still sort of considering? Yeah. 
So it's interesting what you just mentioned about that. Yes, it's not feasible to try on a, a national collection, for instance, that is very yeah, frowned upon. Um, however, we do look at how we interpret how, um, for instance, a garment is worn within our fashion style gallery, but also the potential of, yes, a necklace, how it would actually drape upon the body. So within the exhibition I produced um, with our exhibition design team um, in 2017, um, following my modernist jewellery um, project, my big thing was to actually create and work with a mount maker that would allow us to actually show how a piece would have been worn on the body rather than just being statically hung on the back. So to show the curvature and how it would sit along the shoulder on the collarbone. And especially with something like um, the Sigurd Pearson um, bangle that I acquired, that it didn't sit in the wrist, it actually sat on the bone of the arm and how that orientation actually affects how the piece would have been seen by the viewer. Um, so I think, yes, we do try and work with specific mount makers to be able to kind of articulate that to the audience, even if it's not a full mannequin, it's the way the mount has been structured to give that curvature of the body so you get an idea of how it would actually be on. You work with the team to run exhibitions in the museum and you also write for the blog. Could you tell us more about the process behind sort of setting these themes? You mentioned it takes quite a while and quite it's a considered process. Curating these exhibitions and commissioning sort of these pieces in that theme. And, and if, if you wanted to maybe use an example of an upcoming exhibition that we might get excited about. <laughs> so I'm not currently working on an exhibition, unfortunately. However, I am working on a commission, so I can talk, talk about that. So um, it's not jewellery related, but it is silversmithing. And um, so we're very lucky um, with at National Museum of Scotland who so have wonderful relationships with um, funding bodies that allows us to uh, keep our contemporary collections um, up to date and representative of the most leading artists and makers within those fields. And one of those commission strands is with the Macau Trust that sees us um, supporting an emerging silversmith with one of their first museum's collections. And um, one of the blogs you'll be able to see actually is from Jessica June, who is one of our most re recent recipients. And we're currently working with Edinburgh-based silversmith Hazel Thorne on the next. So this, yes, is a wonderful collaboration between a outside um, charitable body who supports a specific craft um, medium um, and ourselves in an open call. The artists then submit a proposal to basically saying why they should be awarded this um, grant and this commission and what they would hope to achieve from that. We then invite them into the organization. We interview those people. And then it's a group selection um, of the Macau Trust, the National Museum of Scotland and an outside um, representative from the sector to actually then award that individual that opportunity. And then I have the wonderful opportunity then to also mentor and support that maker in her creation or their creation. And yeah, and then be able to pop it out on display in the gallery making and creating alongside her predecessors um, who were also awardees as well. So it's, it's a really wonderful honour to watch something grow and be created from its inception and then being able to then handle it and pop it on display for the nation to appreciate as well. 
um, and tell that story through our interpretation um, labels, um, our blogs, but also our kind of search the collection portals as well. That sounds like a fantastic opportunity for a young maker because it can be challenging to get your work out there and particularly the mentoring sounds like a a superb opportunity for a young person to start their career in craft or design. I hope it mentoring I personally had a mentor and still do have a mentor as well so I appreciate this shared knowledge exchange you can have um, and the advice you can actually help and give to others. Um, so I think that is really important to be able to share that. Mm, it's actually a really good point to make, like any um, experienced jewelers listening, mentor another younger person, because there's so, so many out there that could really do with the help, and it is of significant impact. Uh, my last question is, you know, what is in store for the museum? You mentioned not currently working on an exhibition, but is there anything that you're working on or that you're knowing that's happening at the museum that you would like to share with us that we can look forward to? So um, we have uh, just closed the Galloway Hoard here at National Museum of Scotland, but it's just about to go on tour to Kikubri. Um, and it will also then be going um, further afield to Aberdeen um, next year as well. So if you're not aware of the Galloway Hoard, it's this fantastic Viking hoard that was found in 2017 that was saved for the nation by National Museum of Scotland. And after several years of conservation and research, it was um, put on display um, as part of our reopening this year. Um, and it has is one of the largest Viking hordes to have been rediscovered within this um, country in the last few years. So it's incredible. And the silverwork, the jewelry is wonderful. There is a beautiful, tiny flamingo pin in there, which is just exquisite. So I highly recommend if you have the opportunity and you are in Scotland to go and check that out as well. If, yeah, if people are interested in what National Museums of Scotland do, um, please do check out um, our website on our blog pages. Um, there is a wonderful blog um, about the project that um, we did with Glasgow School of Art during um, lockdown last year called Corona Punk. And it shows how even during a lockdown, you can find creativity within your own home and using a museum's collection to be inspired by. So you don't physically have to come to the museum. You can use our online database and actually find inspiration from that and to create the most remarkable things in lockdown. And it was a wonderful project to be affiliated with and work with Sylvia Weidenbach, um, the artist jeweler on and got me making um which i think is really wonderful and quite fun as well considering i live in a very small studio apartment with no resources and no space so and the fact that i was able to make something out of trash i think if i can do it anybody can do it as well It's, it's a very lovely project for any inspiring jewelers but also to kind of show you that a museum is always a continuing source of um research interest and yeah there's always something that there that somebody can like hold on to as well in the capital of my home country belgium doctors are prescribing museum visits it's not surprising that after months of isolation there's a real need for these wonderful places of history inspiration discussion and reflection to reopen their doors for us to engage with them physically again 
but the pandemic has enabled us to be creative, and many museums, including the National Museum Scotland, have really provided us with opportunities to digitally engage with their collections. Should travel be challenging? From interesting blog posts to digital databases, engagement with their work can take many shapes. For her work to preserve the contemporary jewellery movement and for speaking to me today, I would like to thank you, Sarah. We might not always remember when we go to the museum that a lot of energy, consideration and effort has gone into the displays and each and every single piece we see there. It was certainly wonderful to hear your story. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for inviting me along as well. I hope what I've said is, in, is of interest. <laughs> Next month, I'll be joined by another guest, so watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BHA podcast episode titled Curating Jewelry with Sarah Rothwell. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.